that said, if you open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, the last chapter of Galatians, we'll begin at the top of the chapter. As we are set to conclude this wonderful epistle. Galatians chapter 6. As Father, we come this morning. I thank you for bringing people here safely uh, at these services. And Lord, I thank you for the energy they expended, uh, the effort that they've made. And I know not everyone can come out when the roads are slick or it's cold. And I just... I'm thankful for those who have joined us online, but together right now we open up your word for you to speak to us. And we know that it is profitable for us to be here, to hear from you. God's word put to the page to instruct us and encourage us. I ask that you would help us to be ones that are teachable, receiving your word. Lord, that we would know that... that this is something for us today, how we can apply extending grace to others. As we've talked about the gospel of grace in great detail over the last several weeks. So I pray that, Lord, that you would just stir our hearts, teach our hearts. And Lord, we give this time to you in the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul here, as he's concluding this epistle, we know that Paul has been challenging the Gentile believers of Galatia, uh, particularly those who had moved away from the gospel, the gospel of grace to another. And there were the Judaizers, the Jewish legalists that were coming in behind Paul's ministry. You recall that Paul, he established the churches of Galatia, plural, on his first missionary journey. You read about that in Acts chapter 14. And as he established those churches, it would be the legalists or the Judaizers that came in behind Paul. And they began to trouble the Galatian believers. Matter of fact, as they were saying, you need to yoke yourselves to legalism, to the law, being told that they had to be circumcised. They had to keep the law of Moses along with their faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. And Paul here in this epistle, if you've been with us in our journey through this letter that he wrote to them 2,000 years ago, that he's been very direct. He's been urgent, very passionate in this letter here. And it's a letter for us today because there are those who will come along and they will emphasize that we need to really stand on and yoke ourselves to performance or to something. You have to be baptized in order to be saved. Perhaps some of you that you've had those who have told you that. Or you have to worship on this day. Or you have to go to this church or do this religious act or ceremony, whatever the case might be. And we are learning that there's only one gospel. There's not two gospels, only one gospel. And as we sang, it is Christ alone, it is faith alone. And the theme of the book of Galatians is the just shall live by faith. No works of the law are going to justify anyone. No man is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And as we have seen that Paul in this epistle, Galatians is interesting because the other letters that he writes to the churches, there's a usually um, 
you know, he, he affirms them in their love and in their faith. Uh, he, he extends a greeting of grace and peace to them. He, he would uh, express how he longed to see them once again. Here in Galatia, uh, to these churches here, right away he would begin to write. He says, I marvel that you're turning away from the gospel which to another, which is not the gospel. That's in chapter 1. And he goes on to say that even if an angel preaches any other gospel to you than what we have brought to you, let that angel be a curse. And he repeats himself in that in chapter 1. And there are those who are coming and they are troubling you and they are perverting the gospel of Christ. So he's very direct and very serious in what he is saying. This was a great concern to Paul because the church was really struggling at this time in the early church. Do we need to tell the Gentile believers that they have to keep the law of Moses? Do they have to be circumcised? And I've made reference to Acts chapter 15 in that Jerusalem council where the church leaders got together and they said no that uh, we are not going to tell them that led by the Holy Spirit and you can read that chapter and Paul was the defender of the gospel of grace he goes on to as we travel through this this uh, epistle that in chapter 3 he said who bewitched you and are you so foolish what has begun in the spirit are you going to try to perfect in the flesh and then chapter 4, why do you turn to the weak and beggarly elements, which you desire again to, to be in bondage? And those legalists, they are zealous for you, but it's not for your good. And then chapter 5, uh, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage, with the yoke of legalism. And you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law. And always remember this, that the law is God's holy standard, but it will not bring life. It only brings death. It condemns us. That's why Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. He is the one, faith in him, that brings life to you and to me. And then in the previous chapter, he said, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And oftentimes in the scriptures, and particularly Paul, he uses the illustration of running, of running a race. In the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, run the race to win the prize. The author of Hebrews says that we're to run with endurance, and that possibly could have been Paul who wrote that, that epistle, the book of Hebrews. And, and so we're to run our race. Here he says in chapter 5, you're running your race and somebody cut in front, front of you, hindered you, and you've stumbled. You're not obeying the truth. And as we continue now, we're going to see here, as we moved into chapter 5, chapters 1 and 2, as he defends the gospel of grace, chapters 3 and 4, he defines the gospel of grace. He makes sure that they're established in that gospel, that the just shall live by faith. It's not by the law. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And then in chapters 5 and 6, practical application of grace, which is really important. Because the legalists would come along and say, listen, if you only emphasize grace and you don't emphasize the law, then people are going to go out and be carnal. They're just going to live any way that they want. And so you need to keep them yoked to, to legalism, to rituals, to the law. And Paul says, stand fast in the liberty in which you have in Christ Jesus. Don't be yoked again to legalism as he began chapter 5. And the key to chapter 5 is verse 13 as he writes, don't use this liberty, though, as an occasion for the flesh. 
That is, to do the works of the flesh. And then he lists the works of the flesh, of course, in chapter 5. But you're to walk in liberty, in love, and you are to walk after the Spirit. And the, the fruit of the Spirit, of course, is love. And as you are walking in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh, and you're going to produce fruit, godly fruit in your life. Now as we move into the final chapter of Paul's letter to these Christians, he tells them and us how it is that we can extend grace to others. He will tell us how to extend grace, first of all, to the Christian who has sinned, verse 1, and then toward the Christian who is burdened, verses 2 through 5, how to extend grace towards the pastor-teacher, verses 6 through 9, and know this, I need grace extended to me. And then to all men, verse 10. And then he will give his conclusions as he closes the letter. So let's begin to look at chapter 6 as we read. That brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. As we read this here, Paul, after discussing to these Christians of Galatia about grace, grace means the unmerited favor of God, that you're justified by faith alone, not by the works of the law, and to walk in that grace, be yielded to the Spirit of God dwelling in your hearts, know that the law can be summed up in love, and you are to extend grace to others. You are to extend grace, and that includes one who is overtaken in any trespass. The word overtaken literally means caught by a sin. And you can use that example, illustration of a runner. And as we're running our race, somebody is, is in their race in life, in their Christian uh, life. It's likened, as I said, to a race, that analogy that Paul uses in the New Testament. Now, maybe some of you that you ran track in high school. Maybe you ran track in college. Maybe some of you that, that you run a 5K race. We, you know, my family, the kids and I, we would run a race, a 5K race once in a while, or the boulder, boulder, whatever it might be. And so you're running, and all of a sudden, people start to overtake you. That happens a lot to me, especially at this stage in life. I, I can be up front. It's like, look at all these people just running right past me am I really that slow you know and and little kids and all kinds of things so that analogy there you know you're up front maybe you're ahead of a lot of people and then other runners are catching up with you they're overtaking you you didn't expect it maybe you're surprised so the apostle is talking about you're running your race with the Lord you don't intend to live in sin or to practice sin, but you are overtaken in a trespass and you sin. Then you who are spiritual, this is what you are to do. Now keep in mind that throughout this letter that Paul has made the contrast between those who were legalists and those who have received and walked in God's grace. And I believe that the contrast here continues because the legalists, not walking in grace probably will not extend grace. They would see themselves as the, you know, uh, spiritual ones, uh, the legalists. They would come down hard on the sinner. And they would come down hard thinking that they were more special, better than 
than that person who sinned. And Paul's going to address that in just a little bit. Uh, in pride and in arrogance, you know, always looking for that person who's sinning so they can come down hard on them. How could you do that? How could you sin? How could you fall into that, that you know, sin that you're doing or carnality? But the true spiritual one in love will restore such a one in a spirit of, listen, gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. It is the spirit of gentleness, or if you have a King James, I believe it reads meekness. That's meekness, not meanness. It is meekness. And it is done with the spirit of humility and compassion and with the understanding of our own weaknesses. And always keep in mind that repentance and restoration is always the goal of the believer that has fallen into sin or should be the goal. It's the goal of our Lord, the desire of our Lord, that they would come into true repentance and restoration be worked in their lives. And we are to respond in that way with gentleness, not with a spirit of ignoring it, not with a spirit of pretending it didn't happen. We do not condone their sin, overlook it. We don't sweep it under the rug. We don't excuse it. And we don't go out and gossip about it. And did you hear what happened to so-and-so? Did you hear about them or plaster it all over social media? But also, they are not to be destroyed. They are not to be brought to that place of, of the word. They're just beat down and feel like there's no forgiveness. But there is to be that place of restoring them. Because we do not leave people just broken and cast down and headed in the wrong direction and where there's no hope. With the feeling of God doesn't love me, I can't be forgiven. Again, the ultimate goal is always to bring or to see that person truly be brought to a place of repentance and then restoration. And Paul says, lest you also be tempted. In other words, don't think that you're above sin. And it's interesting that the word here for restore carries the idea of to put in order. It's a word that is used in Mark chapter 1, verse 19, with the disciples mending their nets. It's a medical term used to describe in setting a, a broken bone. Perhaps some of you have broken arm, you broke a leg, and that bone has to be set. And a doctor who is trained does that. He sets the bone. He does it to help the bone heal. It is necessary. It is a painful process, any of you that have been through that. And it takes someone who knows how to do it. And it's usually done as gently as possible, right? It's not the John Wayne mentality, as you see in the John Wayne movies of, you know, here, bite the bullet and, and I'm going to set your bone and the guy screaming or Mel Gibson or whatever the case may be. You know, it is done with care. It is done in in real um, way of where it's hopeful, but it is painful. And it takes time. Listen. That bone takes time to heal. And the thing about the restoring process is it does take time. And we can discuss till tomorrow about the restoring process of one who has fallen into sin. But there is given specific guidelines and wisdom given from God's word. It is to be done wisely. It is to be done 
with discernment. It is to be done biblically. This verse focuses primarily on the spirit of restoring. We do live in an instant world. You've heard me say that. And we can carry that into our spiritual lives. Maybe we're waiting on the Lord as we're praying. We want things to happen right away. But sometimes, unfortunately, there are those who are overtaken in a trespass and they don't want to go through a restoring process. Maybe it's with your marriage. That there's been infidelity. And the trust has to be built up again. And there has to be a restoring process. And one of them says, I don't want to go through that process. I I want everything to be fine. I I don't want to go through the difficulties, the repercussions and the consequences of sin. I've seen it happen with pastors in ministry. I don't want to go through a restoring process. I'm not going to be accountable to anyone. I just want to remain where I'm at and... You know, just forget about it. God's forgiven me. Yes, God does forgive us, but there is a process, and it takes time. And there's a real balance on the restoring process of one who has been overtaken by a sin, and it is to be done with someone who is spiritual or mature in the Lord, and again with that spirit of gentleness. And then he goes on, as we extend grace to others, he writes in verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now Paul talks about extending grace towards the one who is burdened now. Uh, Bear one another's burdens. The one who is weighed down, who's sagging under a heavy load that has come upon them. That's the meaning of the word here in the original language. Burden, something heavy. We can all have burdens in life. And we, you know, uh, how we respond is fulfilling the love of Christ. Now, we read in the previous chapter that the, the law can be fulfilled in one word, right? In love, serving one another with love, Christ's love. Now, it may be a heavy load that you are bearing because you were overtaken by trespass. David writes about that in Psalm 38. In Psalm 38, verse 4, he writes, For my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. A heavy load. Because of the consequences of sin. The repercussions of sin. As I said, that there is forgiveness, but the consequences come. David, you are forgiven, Nathan said to him. When he sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery and murder. But there's consequences that are going to happen. And it did happen with David's life. David, your witness has caused the enemies of God to blaspheme his name. And that had to hurt David's heart because he was a man after God's own heart. The guilt, the shame that can come with it. What a Christian can go through. And we can help them by loving them and desiring for there to be that restoring process. We can bear their burdens by encouraging them and by praying for them. But I don't think this is just limited to someone who has fallen into sin. It may be that they are burdened because of what they're going through in their life, circumstances and the situations that they're facing presently. Maybe business isn't going well. There's financial burdens, uh, relationships. Maybe with kids and grandkids, relationships with family or friends that are severed and strained. Again, we are to 
encourage and to help in any way as God leads and to be there to listen, to give God's word of encouragement, to pray for people. It may be a burden that weighs heavy on you because of grief and sorrow, because of loss. And some of you are going through that right now. And the body of Christ is to be there to help and support and to love. And may this be a place where we care for others, for one another, sharing one another burdens. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself, verse 3. So we're not to have the mindset that I'm more important than others and I'm really something. Now I'm so spiritual. I'm so much better than you or them. And we may not express that verbally, but in our hearts, our hearts we're beginning to see that pride that's building up and that arrogance. We begin to think that more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And that will keep us, listen, from keeping from that will keep you from caring for others and helping others and then extending grace to others as well. Because it is the legalist that has a tendency to be spiritually prideful. I'm better than them. I'm better than you. I'm better than those people. Now, has there ever been a time where you thought that you were something and you realized that I wasn't as as important or special as I thought I was and not really that special? One of the things that God is very good about is dealing with us when we become prideful or arrogant. When that, that seed is there in our hearts and it begins to grow. I was mentioning a story, and in, uh, in for those of you who have been coming to the ministry class, um, not, you know, sorry for being redundant, but I remember one time specifically we've been talking about having pride in ministry. We're going to talk more about humility in the sessions ahead, to be humble when we serve the Lord. And God will not share his glory with any man or any woman. And I remember a time, you know, there are lessons that the Lord gives to us that it's just like really impacts us. And I remember coming here after a couple years of teaching, I was asked to teach at a Calvary, a fairly large one, um, and I remember being excited, and I'm going to show them how smart I am and how much I've studied, and I've become a better teacher, and wait till I get up there. And I went there with this message from the Old Testament, and I'm just talking away, and a guy comes up, and he comes up to the front, and he stands right in front of me, and I'm thinking, what is this guy doing? And he says, I'm going to make you squirm, Pastor. And he was angry at me for, for some reason, and so the ushers got him and took him out, and I was able to talk to him for a short time afterwards. But I was so shaken up, and I remember going home thinking, Lord, why? Why did this happen? And he just spoke to me in that still, small voice, and he said, Don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever get behind that pulpit thinking that you're something and that you're going to show the people how smart you are. But you get behind that pulpit being humble, and you be thankful that I'm allowing you to do it. All the way home, the Lord's just, you know, rebuking me. And ever since that time, 
that, Lord, help me every time I get behind this pulpit. I never want to take it for granted. I don't want to think I'm more special than anyone else or I'm going to show people how smart I am, but to handle the word of God in a way humbly that it's not exalting me, but exalting you and your word and honoring your word. So perhaps we've been through something like that. I know I have. And pride is such a terrible sin because it's the sin that caused Satan, Lucifer, to fall to become Satan. He really thought he was special. He wanted to be like the Most High, sit on the throne. And today, Christians can deceive themselves by thinking that they're more special than others. And they forget about what the apostle wrote in chapter 2, verse 6. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. In Romans chapter 12, after he tells us that you be a living sacrifice because of the mercy of God, and then he tells us how to live for the Lord, the very first thing he says is don't think too highly of yourself. Be careful. So we're not to be deceived into thinking that we're so much better or more important than everybody else. And it may not be something that, that you express to others. There is a thing called false humility. But you in your heart thinking, I'm better than them. I'm better than that group. Our church is better than that, that church over there. There is none of us that are so important that we won't minister to others that have need. And I don't boast in comparing myself to others. As we read in verse 4, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. This is wisdom for us. Don't focus on trying to impress others on what you are doing. Just do what the Lord has called you to do in loving others, in serving others. Be humble. Remember that God is the respecter of no person. Examine your own work. What does that mean? In other words, step back and say, Lord, how am I doing? Am I serving others in love? Am I doing what you've called me to do? Am I where you want me to be? Then you can have rejoicing in yourself and not in another. Examine your own works. And I think that perhaps Paul is saying, quit being so busy on comparing yourself to everybody else and examining everybody else. Thinking you're so special. I like what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says. Paul says, aspire to lead a quiet life. Work with your hands and mind your own business. And that's good advice for us. But to go around and say, oh, you come to the later service? I come to the early service. Are you going to watch football this afternoon? Well, I'm going to be in my room praying. I pray for an hour every day, and you're going, eee. <laughs> wow. You don't fast every week like I fast? You don't read your Bible for an hour? Those things are great, the Lord having you do that. And you know me that I encourage you, read your Bible every day, be praying. Take the time to fast, denying the physical to focus on the spiritual. But don't think you're better than anybody else because you do it. And Jesus talked about doing your works 
And I think that includes talking about your works to be seen of men. Don't stand on the street corner saying these loud prayers. Don't go to the marketplace with your face all gaunt and everything. Wash your face. Don't blow the trumpets when you're giving. Your father sees you. You do it in secret, and he'll reward you for that. So it's a real subtle thing that we can get into, and any of you that are parents that you have more than one child in the house, you know how they compare their works, right? Mom, Dad, he didn't do this, brother, sister, whatever. They didn't clean their room. They didn't do their chores. They're not helping. I raised four kids. I know how that is. And so we would respond, Sue and I, by saying, did you do your chores? Did you hang up your coat? Did you clean your room? And you see, in our walk with the Lord and in our service to the Lord and others, we can think, well, I do this and I do that and I'm committed here and I'm dedicated there. And why aren't you more like me? And the problem is a focusing on what others are doing and it can lead to I'm more spiritual and I'm a better Christian. And we think that we are something thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to examine your own works. Lord, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I doing it with humility? Am I doing it with a heart of thankfulness that you would even desire to use somebody like me? And in 30 years of ministry, the Lord is just showing me more and more what a marvelous privilege and opportunity to serve you, Lord. And there have been times where I thought, Lord, I'm fired, right? You're just kind of done with me. He says, no, you're not fired. I haven't lost one that the Father has given to me. And the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. And I do use the foolish and weak things of the world. And I want to use you. But you keep and fix your eyes on me. And I want to stay there. Then you will have rejoicing in himself alone, what he writes. What does that mean? It's not that you're praising yourself or bringing glory to yourself. You're just doing what God has called you to do with joy. Lord, thank you. Thank you that I get to read to the little ones in the nursery. Thank you that I get to mop the floor. Thank you that I get to pour a cup of coffee. Thank you that I get to come and shovel snow. To greet people. To make a meal for somebody. To help others practically. Because that's what you would have me to do. And I've seen more people discouraged about ministering to others because they were so focused on trying to impress others or be something that they're not. And they look at others and say, why aren't I like them or successful or I'm better than them? And, but, Lord, you're not blessing like it should. And it's just this cycle that you can go into rather than being content where God has you and rejoicing in the work that he's doing through you and being thankful Lord, how come I'm not as popular as they are? How come I don't have a building as big as they have? Lord, how come I don't have this and I don't have that? And 
you end up in a spiritual funk. I do things right. Those people are out to lunch. They're not real Christians, you know. They're not serious like I am. And it's just on and on it goes because the focus on, on others. And the Lord has told me, I said, you know those people over there, you know, they're weird. They're, you know, they do weird stuff, you know, and all this. And the Lord says, ah, I know. <laughs> I'm very much aware, Jeff, more than you know. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, this is what you do. You don't have to judge them, you know, and we are to judge works. We're to be discerning. Of course we are. You don't have to be condemning. This is what you do. Why don't you just love them? I'll take care of that part. You do what I've called you to do. And I tell you, it's so freeing. And I am so thankful that so many of you have come alongside and co-labored in the work of the Lord and being appreciative of that. And the Lord, by his grace, has just brought us to this place and where he has brought you to your family and to your workplace where you can be a blessing to others and do what he's called you to do with the right heart. It's freeing. It's wonderful. And then you can do your ministry with joy. And then Paul says in verse 5 here, for each one will bear his own burden or bear his own load. Now in verse 2 he said, bear one another's burdens or bear one another's loads. So some will read this and say there's contradiction. Does it doesn't make sense. You know, it's a, an example of the Bible contradicting itself. I'm assure you that's not the case here. Because the word in the Greek here for burden in verse 5 is different than the word burden in verse 2. Again, in verse 2, burden, baros in the Greek, which means a heavy load that will cause you to struggle. It's just so heavy. Verse 5 is burden or load in the Greek. It means and speaks of a backpack. A backpack. Those who are students, you carry a backpack. I carry a backpack in here and carry my computer and you know my books and things like that. It's something a soldier would carry. You see, we're all soldiers for Jesus Christ. Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And each of us as soldiers for Christ, we have a pack to bear. We have a, to bear our own load. In other words, there are certain responsibilities or burdens that each of us have as believers that we have to bear. You have responsibilities as a father, a mother, a grandparent, a husband, a wife, Maybe perhaps a boss, an employee. All of us have burdens. Maybe it's the burden of taking care of your parents. Maybe it's the burden of, of just being able to, to minister in a way that God has you to. We all have a pack that we carry. And that extends into our ministry. I have responsibilities as the pastor of this church that no one else will bear. And once in a while, once in a great while, it doesn't happen a lot, but once in a while somebody will say, maybe they intend to mean well, or once in a while it's always been with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, I know what you're going through, Pastor. I know what it is. It's like, no, you don't. Please just pray for me. 
You know, hang out with me for a week. You'll find that out to be true. And you see, being the pastor of this church, there's certain burdens that I have to bear that my wife Sue doesn't, that Pastor John or, or Luke doesn't, the leadership doesn't, by the very fact that God has called me to be the pastor. And I'm not saying this who you think, oh, poor Pastor Jeff. That's, that's not my intention because they have burdens that they have to carry that I don't. You have burdens that you have to carry that I don't. And the Lord is there to help you to carry that burden in the place where God has you and the responsibilities that have been, been placed upon you. We all have a pack that we have to carry. So these verses go together. Those who are just weighed down, hey, we're there to help. We're there to encourage. We serve one another. But as we move forward in our ministry and just examining our own works, we do it in a way that is pleasing to the Lord because we all got a pack to bear. And the Lord is there to help us to do that, to move forward in love and in humility and to be able to move forward in what God's called us to do is being a mother, a father, a grandparent, uh, uh, uncle, aunt, uh, ministering, uh, wherever God has placed you, whatever state you're in, and to guide you and direct you. And whatever God has for us and called us to do, each one will bear his own load, her own load. Now, the Lord doesn't give you ministry or a burden that is too heavy to bear because he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Others may put a heavy load on you with expectations in the world, but Jesus will help you in your responsibilities to carry them as you depend on him. So verse 2, there are times when we're just weighed down with the trials and tragedies and difficulties of life to where we are to help and encourage each other. I pray that this church will continue to do that, to help each other, to hold each other up because it is hard. And there are people going through heavy burdens. And then there's verse 5, the load that we carry each and every day and the responsibilities that we have as a believer that God has placed on us, the calling he's given to us, carrying our backpack as we serve him with love and humility. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these words given to us, how we can extend grace to others. And I'm very grateful that we have received your grace. Lord, may we be a people. May we be a church that we share one another's burdens. We help, we encourage, we pray. Lord, we bless. If there are those that are in our lives that are overtaken by trespass, that they would know that your desire is for there to be repentance, to be restoring. To come to that place of humbling ourselves. Of healing to take place. Forgiveness. You are the God of restoration. So I want to pray anyone who's here that maybe has been overtaken by a trespass that is weighing heavy on you. That God does want to work. But look to him. Look to his word.
Let there be healing done. Take the time to allow the Lord to work. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God because he wants to do that work. And for us not to enter that process of just bringing more hurt and confusion, but with the spirit of gentleness, if you put us in that place and of wisdom and discernment, Lord, I pray that we would be ones that we wouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but just moving forward in the things that you have for us and where you've placed us. Help us with the burden that we do carry, the responsibilities we have in life, and the state that we're in. Lord, I also want to pray for anyone who may be here that you've never given your life to Christ. That Jesus, he went to the cross and bore your sins upon himself. Because the wages of sin is death. And Jesus went to the cross to die for you specifically and individually because of his love for you. And then he was put into a grave and he rose again. And he is your salvation. It's not a church, it's not a pastor, it's not a political party. It is Christ alone. And the invitation is given to you to come and believe and to repent, to turn direction and turn to Christ and call out on the name of Jesus. To whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth that God raised them from the dead. Today is the day of salvation. And you can do that right now sincerely. Praying in your heart, Jesus, I come to you. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need to repent. And I turn direction and I turn to you and I cast my life upon you. First of all, asking forgive me. And then asking you to sit upon the throne of my life as my Lord and Savior. That I may walk with you and know you. Live for you. Thank you for your forgiveness. I believe you rose again from the grave desiring to work in my life. And I do want to to walk with you and know you, to learn of you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. And for all of us this week, as we go out in this cold and a bitter cold, keep us safe. Take everyone home safely. Help us to, to extend grace to others and help in wisdom and discernment and in love. In Jesus' name, amen.